Welcome to The Burn, Beyond Firestop. I'm your host, John Zalepka. Our show is focused on life safety and code compliance in the built environment, which puts me on a mission to find the most interesting people in the space to get their unique perspectives. Our hope is that our listening audience walks away with an understanding of how our guests and their businesses also contribute to the promotion of life safety of whatever is being built. Our show is brought to you as always by Specified Technologies, also known as STI Firestop. Since 1990, STI has been a leading global provider of innovative fire protective solutions that help stop the spread of fire, smoke, and hot gases. And our guest today is familiar with these topics. He's dedicated to the long-term success, growth, and development of the fire and life safety industry. He's an innovative, collaborative, forward-thinking leader with over 15 years of senior-level experience in the industry. John Mackey, welcome to The Burn. Hey, good morning, John. Happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, you know, I always like to start on a personal note rather than jumping into the whole business of things. And, you know, with the recording of this episode being the day after Veterans Day, I'd like to start by saying thank you very much for your service. Well, thank you, John. It, uh, it was a, a pleasure to serve uh, when I did and, and uh, really grateful for the friendships and um, the relationships I still manage today, um, you know, 30 some years later. Uh, but uh, really happy to uh, have been, you know, able to serve our country. Sure. I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you're a veteran of the Gulf War in the Navy. Uh, how many times were you deployed? How much time did you spend overseas? So we, uh, I was fortunate enough to commission a ship built in uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, and we took it around South America. So New York City, we were commissioned right across from the Intrepid in August of 88, and then took it around South America. A cruise I'll never forget where we hit 50-foot seas. <laughs> I dealt with serious seasickness along with probably, you know, 100 other shipmates of mine. And then uh, home port at San Diego. But because we were a new ship, uh, we were deployed a lot. Uh, haze gray and underway was what we always said. Uh, went out to sea to go test missiles off the coast of Hawaii, do missile or uh, war games exercises up and off the coast of Alaska. Um, but I did, uh, in addition to that South American cruise, uh, we did a formal Westpac where we took the ship uh, over to the Persian Gulf and uh, flexed our muscles a little bit and then uh, and then came back. So a full-blown Westpac, which was six months out to sea and a number of ports along the way, and then a number of trips to Hawaii and up and down the West Coast. So, Wow. Wow. So you've, you've certainly seen the world. Um, did you imagine military life like that before you joined, or what was the inspiration for you serving in the first place? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid of the 80s. Right. And so Top Gun came out with the summer before my uh, senior year of high school. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, I couldn't afford college and uh, I really needed some some clarity. So uh, my my grandfathers were all World War Two vets. Uh, World War Two was very influential on, you know, I think our generation. Right. Being grand grandkids of you know, World, World War Two generation. And um, my grandfather was a retired Navy pilot. And uh, I started talking to him, and, you know, he didn't necessarily steer me towards the Navy, but he said, let's go talk to all the branches. And uh, the Navy is where it ended up, but uh, it really transformed my journey with regard to where I was going to go. You know, you go into the military saying, all right, I was going to be an air traffic controller and go, you know, you know, run major airports and flight paths and et cetera, et cetera. And you get in the Navy and you realize the, the MOS that you have, the skills that they're training you for, doesn't necessarily transfer to the civilian world. So... Um, I used that as an opportunity to pay for college with a GI Bill and, and uh, you know, come home, get married, and have kids and, you know, see where things go. That's awesome. Again, thank you for your service. You Obviously, uh, you didn't – did you 
have any intention of making a career out of the military or did you, like you said, you were, you served and you wanted to get through schooling and things like that or how, how does that work? I mean, I know a lot of people are, are career. Yeah, I think it's uh, the first command in your first few experiences are going to be indicative of whether or not you're going to open the doors for that next uh, rotation, right? So every every uh, billet that you're on is a two-year, three-year, four-year billet. Uh, I was on a two-year billet. And so when it came time for me to rotate out, the commands that were lining up didn't necessarily line up with what I was looking to do. So I used that as an opportunity to exit from active duty, but then I went into the reserves. I served in the reserves uh, for five years after my uh, active duty uh, requirement was met. So it's uh, I was open-minded to it, but then other, other things presented themselves and decided it was time for me to go uh, off to college. So I guess let's talk about those other things, shall we? I, I see that you spent some time in the lumber industry, the drywall industry. You made a quick stop at Coors Brewing Company. Now that's interesting, uh, before ending up at Tyco. So how does one go from being in the military into human resources in the world of construction? So I think, again, just opportunities. Um, I came out of the Navy, uh, went to college, um, found myself in DeKalb, Illinois, where I was, you know, I needed a part-time job. So I went to the the local lumber yard, Wollahan Lumber at the time was a regional lumber company, had 60 stores across the Midwest. And uh, I was simply the guy that, you know, was in the back of the yard when someone pulled around, they have two by fours loaded in the truck. Uh, and then migrated into uh, inside sales uh, in certain departments, worked into a management training program while I was going to school. And then Wollahan came to me at the same time my wife and I were getting ready to move from the Cal because she had uh, was pursuing her teaching degree. And Wollahan came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in a regional human resources role? We're really not sure what it means, but we need to help support the operations, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, sure, why not? So I did that, um, finished school at night. I had to kind of pivot pretty quickly to figure out how I was going to finish school because they gave me the opportunity before I graduated. And then the HR role morphed into something bigger, became you know, more stores, bigger territory. That's what transitioned from a regional, uh, excuse me, a retail HR role into manufacturing. Uh, Wollahan was a great Midwest family-run business, but I needed fundamental HR skills, so I went after a job at US Gypsum, USG Corp, where they moved me out to manufacturing and kind of really changed the path, again, for me and my family. As we had, uh, left Chicago in 1999, where my wife and I were originally from, all of our family is still there. And... Uh, Never look back. You know, the HR cat path worked out great. And I guess you just kept on going with the HR path. Like we said, we, we could skip over Coors Brewing, although that was probably a fun two years there. Uh, but then you wound up at, at Tyco. And is that kind of, I imagine, where you really started to learn the workings and, and picked up a passion for fire protection and life safety? Absolutely, right? Yeah, Coors is a lot of fun. It's a compelling business because everyone wants to be your friend because you always have free beer. Uh <laughs> didn't matter where we're at, at a bar or in my house. I always had a course product in the fridge. So, um, but I, again, from a career perspective, I, I wanted to continue to grow in advance, right? This was, you know, still relatively young. And I get an opportunity from a headhunter who says, hey, we got this job in uh, Marinette, Wisconsin. And most people say, where the heck is Marinette, Wisconsin? But I was a Midwest guy, so I had a general, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but um just being opportunistic, took the role with Ansel as the director of HR. Very, very fortunate to be uh, on Mark Vandover's staff. Uh, worked directly with Mark, who was the president of Ansel at the time, and, and uh, really uh, 
grasped what was required for the HR role in this global position. I mean, when I was at Coors, I was at the brewery. Now you're in a global role. You've got uh, visibility to this you know, huge, at the time, I probably a $600, $700 million business and uh, influencing things going on in Asia and Europe and, and what have you. So um, a great opportunity. My philosophy around HR was to really, you know, the, the methodology at that time was around HR being a business partner, right? Um, really moving out from the office and getting into the field, understanding the employees. Right? So I spent a lot of time with the sales team. Um, I spent a lot of time with customers as the sales team would make calls and wanted to make sure that I positioned myself with all the different operating groups to um, really understand what they needed. So if I'm driving policy, I needed to understand what their needs were, right? Not any different than today when you're trying to sell uh, or if you're manufacturing a product and trying to sell to an end user, what do they need, right? Your engineers can really design in the lab. That's great. <laughs> but if you don't understand how it's installed and how it's utilized in the field, uh, it's a big disconnect. So HR wasn't any different. So then you kind of transitioned, I guess, more into sales. You were out there working with the sales guys anyway and uh, at Tyco, and I guess you kind of picked up the, the merger side of the business there and, and brought that over to the Hiller company. Is that right? Kind of what was it like going from being a manufacturer to, like you said, the, the end user side of the business? So, you know, it, it was a really interesting transition because, again, you see how the, the OEMs operate, and there's such a large scale that I answer, and even Tyco uh, work at. And the, that structure gives the ability, gives you the ability as a leader to get in front of a lot of different people. I took the time to get in the field, meet my customers, spend a lot of time with the customers, traveling with my sales team to really understand what they needed and how we can work together um, to grow the business, right? So when I left Tyco, I you know, went to work for my largest customer, which was Hiller Fire. Yeah, Hiller Companies at the time was a fairly small company, but they were looking for somebody to help them grow. And I had the experience with regard to how to integrate uh, a company, you know, the tools, uh, the processes that you have to connect when you're bolting on, and in the case of Hiller acquisitions, and you're growing really fast. Um, and at that time, which is almost you know, 10 years ago now, technology was really starting to get a foothold in the market. And so how do you use technology to support that growth? Uh, so for the my run at Hiller was all around growth with regard to the acquisition strategy, you know, how we pulled companies into the mix, and then how we uh, ramped up technology to support it. And um, it was a great run, uh, eight years, uh, a lot of success stories, but a lot of lessons learned as well, what to do right, and uh, <laughs> things that we did wrong, how to improve for the next, uh, next uh, deal. No, it's just awesome. You have a lot of experience on both that huge corporate side of things and then that uh, smaller business, if you will, not to say that Hiller's small, but, you know, I guess more of a family-owned uh, business and, and probably everything in between from, you know, mergers and acquisitions of other types of companies and, like you said, deploying technology. At, at what point were you like, wow, I have this big knowledge base and I think I'll start my own consultancy and help others? Well, you know, when you're on the, uh, you're in the driver's seat with regards to the acquisition game, uh, where we were sitting from a Hiller perspective, just given size and scale, you start to take a look at the broader market. At least I did to understand what is going on. One, a lot of consolidation was going on and it's still going on today. But then also recognizing that there are companies that do it really well. All right. So how do you get those best practices deeper into the market? And there are some companies today that do, I feel, do it poorly. And what I mean by poorly is that they don't, take the time to really understand the business they're acquiring. It's purely a revenue play. 
uh, trying to build the portfolio and they don't understand the dynamics that you drill down into the market, right? Ultimately, what does the customer need and what does the customer expect? And so when you see that going out in the market, I felt like there was an opportunity to influence how to do it right. Well, I couldn't do that from the Hiller seat <laughs> because I was fully employed by them uh, and felt that I, I could add some value to the industry to become an advocate, to find a seat at a, a, a different uh, aspect of the market on the buy side and these people coming into the space that don't understand it. So educate them on how the market's structured, identifying where opportunities exist. And then when they make that acquisition, help them with the integration processes to get that company that they just acquired integrated, operating the common method, and truly uh, create an environment where they're not skipping a beat with the customer. And that is the Mackey Group, yes? Yes, that is the Mackey Group. <laughs> All right. Shout out to the Mackey Group. And that's MackeyGroupLLC.com. We'll be sure to uh, put a link in uh, there so you can check out John's website. Uh, so you're focusing now full-time on your consulting business. Is that is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, There's enough uh, work to uh, keep me busy uh, every day. And... Um, uh, enough variability to really keep it exciting. <laughs> so what, what's your focus, would you say? What's your sweet spot? It, it is M&A, right? So um, I've got uh, one key client that uh, consumes uh, a good portion of my day where really helping them understand uh, market dynamics, what's going on. Um, I, I can look at that from the perspective of translating. All right, you look at the operating side of the business and how they're doing and what's going on. And then you've got the investors that, that you know don't necessarily understand all the dynamics. So I'm the kind of the, I'm the person in between to help translate what that what that looks like. The operating guys don't have time to sit down, you know, every single day and talk to the investment group and say, here's what's going on, here's what this means. That's number one. Number two, there's a lot of activity in the market, right? So um, I uh, position myself in my company to uh, keep my pulse on what's going on in all aspects of fire protection. Right. So uh, there's some consolidation going on in the OEM space, you know, a lot of consolidation going on in the broader fire market. But where's it at? Fire extinguishers, hoods, you know, sprinkler, a little bit of alarm. Right. But what does that mean? Right. And then who's buying, who's selling. And then creating stories around that to help build strategies uh, to position my clients for success. All right. So that's that's the majority of the time. And then off of that, because of. Uh, relationships I have, helping other smaller companies in the startup space. If it's technology and trying to figure out where they fit, you know, what they need you know, to look at with regard to product development. And then with uh, the contracting market, when you, there's a lot of acquisition activity, you'll see if you follow the, the market dynamics, company A comes in and buys in a major metro market. The company they just acquired will spit out three or four people, a service manager and three technicians will say, hey, I'm going to go start my own company because I don't want to work for company A. They then say, all right, they start their own. Well, they need help. They need to raise capital. They need to figure out how to structure the business. They need to, And so that's why well, I'll call that the side hustle because those are simple phone calls and, you know, hey, or you know, video calls like what we're doing now and helping them really understand the pillars or the foundational pieces they need to put in place for long-term success. So you mentioned technology a couple of times. Is that one of those pillars that you would say, especially for maybe some of the smaller businesses that you're working with? Um, 
you know, because we've seen technology in the fire protection industry grow rapidly, you know, in recent years from, you know, building integration, inspection, testing, and, you know, even a lot of codes and standards we've seen from our vantage point in building wireless communications. These DAS systems need to be, you know, protected and things like that. So uh, are you are you consulting on the technology? Is that one of those pillars that you mean there? Yes, exactly. So um, I'm not an IT guy, but because of my, you know, experiences that I've captured over the last, you know, 15 years have always worked around the technology space. So as a user of technology, what's the expectation, right? You know, my philosophy is it has to be easy to use <laughs> and easy to deploy. So, and then if you're an admin in an office or if you're a customer, what does it mean? So coming at technology from that perspective, now that it was a web developer, not as an IT guy that's gonna type in a bunch of code to, to build something, but from a market perspective, what does the market need? And so some of the projects I've been involved with are in that technology space, in the technology space regarding, um, hey, can you help us think through how we manage inventory? And what does that mean from the customer perspective? Can you help us think through better ways to capture data in the market to then help the customer and or the user of the information uh, to make better decisions, right? And if you look back at over the last I'm going to say 10 years and the growth of technology in our space. And it's across the board, you know, especially around, I call it plug and play, you know, services of software or service uh, software as a service uh, subscription based software where you're able to identify, Hey, I have a need for financial reporting. All right, let's go look at this platform. I have a need for uh, test and inspect software. So let's take a look at, you know, inspect point. I have a need for, service management. So, you know, what platforms are out there and be able to that plug into what uh, you need to grow your business. And I think it's critical in today's environment, to your point, back to your original point, the companies that are in our space have to use you know, various forms of technology, one, to just support the day-to-day -day rhythm of their business, but, but two, create better customer experiences and how they run the business, right? Because it's up to the customer and how they use it. And from a fire protection industry perspective, we have to create better experiences to create more, generate more value for the customers. No longer about getting a you know inspection report on paper and pen, right? That's an electronic report. Give me the ability to pay for that electronically. Give me the ability to go see the history on some website, right? And make it easy for me to run my business or keep my, my business compliant. Right. So essentially, the message there is: we know we're using technology. John shows you how to leverage it for the good of your business there, because. He is a thought leader in the fire and life safety industry. And, and I understand recently you were at the, the leadership conference for NAFED, right? The National Association of Fire Equipment Distributors. I don't know. Hopefully I nailed that one. How did that go? Yes. I, yeah, you got it. Uh, yeah, that, uh, I was at the executive retreat this past weekend in Phoenix uh, for NAFED. And um, really good to, to see people out and about. I know we've been doing conferences now for the last five, six months. Um, NAFED had both of their conferences, or had two of the three conferences this past summer. Uh, AFSA had their conference. I mean, people are getting out and about now. And uh, this executive retreat was focused on company owners and their senior leaders. There are 50 companies there. Um, so a, a, an intimate group, people I knew, uh, a lot, and a lot of new fresh faces. But it was really interesting to see the topics and what they wanted to talk about. So, you know, a lot of stress and anxiety. In our, in our workplaces, I think especially as business owners, you know, we, let's go back a year ago and trying to figure out COVID and, you know, how we can 
pay our employees and how we you know keep the lights on and you know those PPP loans really gave us a bridge to get through that. But then that created just a lot of anxiety, right? So one of the uh, the keynote speaker was um, uh, a lady talking about resilience and mindfulness and and just being able to you know keep things in perspective. <laughs> level-headed how do you create clarity for yourself every day and it was um you know we don't do that we kind of get caught in, in the, the hustle right we get so close to the issues in front of us we don't take the time to step back and kind of create some clarity for ourselves so um, i found a lot of value in that in that presentation we also had an economist uh talk and uh, if you've sat through any economist perspective or presentation it's all about their philosophy about the economy and how it operates right and uh, this person was uh, very interesting, very insightful, uh, but, you know, sh steered a away from the conversation about inflation. And yet, you know, as business owners, everyone in that room was saying labor costs are going up, supply costs are going up, right? And so how are we going to be able to maintain, you know, this federal, you know, standard of 2 to 3% inflation when everything's telling us it's going up 6 8%? <laughs> so... Uh, a difference in opinion, but again, thought-provoking because I think economists um, and, their, and their their skills are intended to create that discussion, right, and to be able to share different perspectives. And it's all around data, and then taking that data to kind of create some opinion. Uh, so that was uh, a thought-provoking uh, presentation, and then a, another presentation by a, um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Skip Weissman on community and how to deal with communication in the workplace and the challenges around it. And then finally, I, I gave a presentation on sustainable growth strategies and sharing my experiences around growth and programs that we've put in place either at uh, Ansel, Tyco, Hiller, and also what I've learned from talking to other owners um, over the last five, 10 years around how they've grown their business. And just shared a model with regard to the importance of people, process, and technology and how those three pillars, if you will, really have to be focused on the customer experience. Because if we can't create value for our customers, then it's gonna truly impact the value of the fire protection industry. So we have to be customer centric, we gotta take care of employees, but how do you do that? And so that's where, you know, the roles of people, the processes, the business processes really have to be customer centric. And then the technology has to be driven around what the customer expects. So. Uh, really good discussion, and then we finished the presentation or set, excuse me, finished the, the weekend with a, a legal discussion about contracts and how to manage those with an attorney, and then a town hall discussion. And the town hall was, I think, pretty lively uh, with regard to just really what's going on. A lot of conversation about the economy, a lot of conversation about growth, following up on my presentation, and then a lot of conversation around acquisitions and consolidation and what's going on in the market. And it's great to be out back in, in person and live, like you said. Uh, uh, any other conferences or trade shows that you're going to be attending or speaking at coming up? Uh, not this year. Um, I think we're good for the rest of the year. But uh, the first one we'll see that I'll be attending, I'm not, I'm not speaking at, is the Fire Suppression Systems Association Annual Forum in uh, Bonita Springs, uh, Florida, just south of uh, Fort Myers. Uh, that's in mid-February. And uh, I think that uh, that... They went they had a virtual conference last year, and I think the that group of people are really interested in getting back together face to face. <laughs> uh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. And then then it just starts the circuit because then there's March, April, May, June. I mean, it's there we go. <laughs>
Sure. I think a lot of people are, honestly. Uh, so that gives you a couple months there to focus more on your writing. I know you do a lot of writing as well. I saw one of your blog posts recently about uh, preparing for transition in the fire and life safety business. And there, there were some great ideas in there about exit strategies and strategies that seem to be applicable to just about any industry. Do you see yourself working with clients outside of the industry or are you fully focused on fire protection, at least for now? So I, I am, I mean, my first focus is fire every day, right? My passion is truly around this business and just how do we get better and how does, how does it become sustainable longer term? But it's also inherent, right? You know, I live in a small town here, you know, just, you know, off the Gulf Coast of Alabama and there's a lot of small business owners and, you know, I'll be off for dinner, I'll be off for, you know, at a social event and someone knows what I do and they're like, hey, yeah, I own an HVAC company and I'm trying to figure out what to do about this or, you know, my husband wants to buy a company. What does he need to think about? Right. It's just inherent. Right. Because it's, you know, <laughs> the conversation comes about what you do. But I think it's reflective of what's going on, you know, in our in our society. Right. So in our professional lives, you've got a number of businesses that have have grown and have, have gotten to a point where the owners now are starting to think through that transition piece. And I, I look back at, you know, personal experiences. My father-in-law was a cabinet maker in Chicago for 60 years, 50 years. He took over for his father. And when it came time to sell the business, he had no clue where to start. And so he ended up just closing the doors. And you're like, wait, there's got to be a better way, right? So um, as I've talked to business owners, I've gone to conferences, the biggest issue or the biggest uh, question I get is, where do I start? So that's what led to the writing of the article uh, Dave Pelton's a, a really good friend of mine. We worked together at Ansel. He's the uh, was the VP of marketing for Ansel, and then Solberg and some other companies. And uh, Dave and I just felt, you know, based on what he's doing and what I'm doing, let's share some information with regard to helping and owners really think through the transition process. You know, either position your business for growth, and then you're going to fuel all your energy, push all your energy behind that around growth. And in the article, we also talk about you should be asking yourself at least every year, minimum, right? Do I want to grow it or do I want to sell it? And then be prepared for that because it's a big decision no matter what you do. Um, and I want to make sure that these owners really understand that and that they're prepared um, if they decide to sell, to sell because they want to see that, you know, maximize their value for the business. Yeah, no, that's great. I like how you hit things from all the angles and, you know, have food for thought, if you will. So before I let you go, is there anything else that you'd, you'd like to promote, any... Anything coming up? Anything at all? Any PSAs? No, I, I you know, um, I'm pretty active on social media, so just continue to you know, share information there as it relates to what I see going on in the, in the market, my website and my, my blog. I continue to publish articles. I think we're posting about every month on a blog and, and, and just trying to keep information flowing because at the end of the day, um, again, advocating for the industry, how do you get information out? How do you help people understand different perspectives. I'm not saying mine's the absolute path you have to follow, but I want to share information so people can take that for what it's worth and make decisions that work well for them and their business, right? And so uh, it's, I guess the PSA would be jump, in, jump into the conversation, right? Share your perspective, you know, either respond to a social post, uh, call me directly, email me directly. I'm an open book and would always love to have a conversation with people. And how do we make this industry uh, more fruitful than it is right now? And, you know, I think, John, you and I are, are close to the same age where we're going to be working for another 10, 15 years. 
right? But what about the generation behind us, right? I want to make sure the industry is in a much better position, or you know, stability-wise, in 15 years. Um, and obviously, it's not in a bad position today. But I just want to make sure that the, the, the pieces are in place for the next generation to be successful and for our customers' needs to be met. Awesome. Great stuff, John. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Hey, you're welcome, John. Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, have a great day. All right, and thank you, everyone out there, for listening. We know that there's a lot of podcasts, and you've chosen to listen to ours. We appreciate that. And if you've enjoyed this episode or the show and like to support us, please share it with others, post about it on social. Like John said, leave us a rating, a review, whatever you do with podcasts. I don't know. And to catch all the latest and greatest from STI, check out our website, www.stifirestop.com. And until next time, this is The Burn. <laughs>